0: Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is, wherever you are. I just want to say welcome to our third week of the story, our online worship experience here for Movement Church. My name is Trig Beaker. I'm on staff here, and I'm so excited to welcome you. I think today is going to be a great day, not because of what I have to say, but because of what God has to say in his word as we talk about reconciliation, which is our third topic, and our four bite-sized topics as we look at the overarching narrative of Scripture in four weeks. And the first week we talked about the fall, we're calling the series, of course, the story for many reasons. Uh, uh, I'm going to back up a little bit. Uh, Our hearts were created for story. Nobody's got to convince you of that. If you think about all the stories that we watch in the news, all the stories that we love to read, all the stories that we love to watch on Netflix and all the movies that we love. And even all of our products, I said week one are crafted and uh, advertised in a story form because stories captivate our hearts. And when stories that captivate our hearts are true, they can be healing, they can be really redemptive in our life, but when they're false, they only create an unstable foundation for the rest of our lives. And as Christians, we believe that the most important story for us to understand and to know is the biblical story, the story of the Bible. And this story we've broken down into four parts. The first part we've said is the Uh, creation of the world that God created for good and that God created for God. When God created, he created a world that was perfect without any sickness, disease, murder, whatever you want to say that's bad. It wasn't in creation. And God also created creation for his glory to reflect his goodness. And humanity was the crown jewel of that creation. We were made in God's image. And No one's got to convince you of the second week, which is the fall, which is the fact that this world has descended into decay and chaos, that this world is not the way that it was supposed to be. And nobody, like I said, has to convince you of that, right? Like we all know that it's pretty jacked up, even with all the little pleasures that we have, even with all the goodness that we see, there is a lot of hurt. There is far too much pain and there's far too much Sin And so that's what we talked about. That's what Mark talked about in week two. And today, today we're talking about what I think is the most important concept that we could ever know as a Christ follower or as somebody that isn't a Christ follower yet. I truly believe that this is the most important thing that you can know about yourself. And that has to do with reconciliation, more specifically how God took you, a sinner, and reconciled him to himself, even though he is perfect, holy, and blameless. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to be in Colossians chapter one. So if you want to start turning there in your Bibles, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. We're going to be reading verses nine through 23, but uh, turn there in your Bibles. And while you do that, I will give you a little bit of context. This letter is written by the Apostle Paul. He's in prison and he's writing to the church in Colossae. He's actually never visited there, but his friend named Epaphras is there. And he's kind of given him some correspondence about how the Christians in Colossae are doing. And what Epaphras tells Paul essentially, and what we can denounce from Paul's letter, is that the Colossian church has started to be influenced by their Roman worldview and their Roman way of life. And so that Roman worldview and Roman way of life has started to bleed and infiltrate their understanding of God and who he is and Jesus and what saves them. And so Paul writes the Colossian church saying, hey, Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Remember what Jesus did. Remember who Jesus is. And he writes to also challenge them to continue to live their life in light of that truth. And as Americans, I know that it is so easy to let our culture, our American dream, whatever you want to call it, start to influence our understanding of God, scripture, the Bible, and uh, salvation in Jesus. What really saves us? Who is God? What has he done for us? And so Today, I'm really excited for what Paul has to say to the Colossian church, because I think it has a lot to say to us today in America in the 21st century. So this is uh, where we're starting. Verse nine, Paul says this, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way that you will live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and the patience that you need. Man, we need endurance and patience right now in this moment of history, don't we? He also continues, he says, may you be filled with the joy Always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave us our sins. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and he is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on the earth. He made the things that we see and the things that we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is the first in everything. For God in his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of what? Christ's blood on the cross. That's the crux of reconciliation right there. And he says this, this includes you. Yippee. If you're at home, we should be on amen to that because this includes you, Paul says, who were once what? Far away from God. Not only were you far away from God, but Paul continues, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and your actions. Yet now he has reconciled you, there's that word again, to himself. How? What? Through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, He has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. Now, this may be, the most important message that you listen to all year. And it has nothing to do with me, nothing to do with my eloquence, and everything to do with what Paul is explaining here to the Colossian church, that Christ has reconciled us to God, even though we were sinless or sinful, he made us sinless. Even though we were to blame, he made us blameless. Even though we were unholy, he makes us holy and he presents us to God. If we would put our faith in him. and Now, when we talk about this word reconciliation, we generally talk about it as far as relationships go. Like, if I reconcile with my brother because I fought with him, that means that, you know, I restore that relationship. But if we talk about it in financial uh, terms, we talk about reconciling bank accounts or budgets, uh, balancing the books, harmonizing things. But in the Bible, when we talk about reconciliation, we're talking about this cosmic need for reconciliation with the God of the universe who is perfect and we are not. now. How can we be reconciled to God? Well, the way that we talk about this in church language a lot of times is we talk about the gospel. We say the gospel. We talk about the gospel all the time, right? You've heard that word. And for a lot of us, I would say that we probably understand and know the gospel. And a lot of us in church probably come in and we think we know something about the gospel. But chances are, many of us think things about the gospel that probably aren't true. Like the Colossians, things from our culture or things from our own sinful attitudes and understanding start to infiltrate our understanding of what really saves us, who God is to us. And so this isn't even really about me shaming you. It's just about what happens in our lives. I remember when I grew up I went to church and I remember thinking that like the good news, like the gospel was this thing that explained to us that like God is perfect and we're not. And so like God just doesn't want you to watch R rated movies or to cuss or to drink Coors Light. Like that's what I thought. Like that was what the Bible was all about. And maybe you think that God it really exists and that the gospel is um, that God just wants you to be happy and to live a good life and be a good person and that when you are a good person that good things will come to you and that when you aren't a good person like bad things will happen to you there's a lot of these misconceptions that we have about the gospel um even this let's this one might be a hard one maybe you thought that you were a christian growing up because you just went to church camp once and had a warm fuzzy feeling but You can't seem to shake the idea that your life hasn't changed much and that guilt and shame still haunts you every single day. Maybe it is that you don't actually understand what the gospel is, and that's okay. Paul says that we grow in our knowledge and understanding of what the gospel is because the truth is there's a lot of confusion about what the gospel is and what the gospel isn't today. Who Jesus is and what he came for, what saves you and what actually doesn't save you. But this is far from the picture that Paul wants to paint for us. He wants to explain again to the Colossian church, hey, here is the gospel. Here is what you are to believe. And believe me, I know that this cultural moment is as hard as any for us to uh, kind of weed out our clashing worldviews and really get back down to the brass tacks of what the Bible says about who Jesus is. And so this is how Paul starts his letter. He knows something about this clash of cultures and how it involves our understanding. And he says, I'm praying for you. In fact, I haven't stopped praying for you. By the way, Paul's in jail, remember, so they should probably be praying for him. But he's praying for them anyway. And what is Paul praying? He says, I am praying that God would give you, the Colossians, complete knowledge and understanding of his will, spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, the last thing that I want for you, Colossians, is to misunderstand what the gospel is all about. And why does Paul say that he doesn't want them to be confused? He says this in verse 10. He says, because when you aren't confused about who God is, then you can actually live a life that pleases him and honors him. In other words, if we don't understand what God has done for us, if we don't understand who Jesus truly is, we'll either be wallowing in self-pity and shame, or we'll wallow in self-righteousness, that we need to understand first and foremost who Jesus is before we can actually live after him. And the problem with so many Christians, right, and we do this and I do this, is that we put the cart before the horse. We try to work our way into his good graces rather than understand that he has already bought us his good graces by the blood of his son, Jesus, and we live out of fear rather than freedom. And when we live out of freedom, Paul says that when you know it, you will produce fruit and you will grow to know God better and better. And what is it that Paul wants them to know better and better? He wants them to know about how Christ reconciled himself or how Christ reconciled us to himself And so we're going to unpack this reconciliation in three ways. And we're going to ask these three questions. Why do we need it? How do we get it? And what is the result? Why do we need it? How do we get it? And what is the result? First, why do we need it? Look at verses 13, 14, and 21. It says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who has purchased our freedom and forgave our sin. This includes you who were once far away from God You are his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Now, when I hear this language of kingdom of darkness, you know, like I start thinking about Lord of the Rings and Lord Sauron, I think that's his name, I've only watched it a couple times, and Mordor and uh, the Mount Doom and the orcs and just that evil, and the reality is it's kind of like that, but it's far worse than that, right? The the kingdom of darkness is, uh, in in the Bible, we're, we're told that that the world is ruled by powers in principalities that are evil and dark right now. And nobody has to convince you of that, right? And the reason those exist is because we allowed sin to enter the world through our own decisions, our own choices to walk away from God. It's the reason that political corruption exists. It's the reason that drug addiction exists. It's the reason that murder exists. It's the reason that rape exists. It's the reason that every single horrible thing that has happened, including natural disasters and everything that is uncontrollable by ourselves in this world is due to the kingdom of darkness. The fact that we live in a world that is right now in bondage to sin. There's this deep and dark reality. And and we know this, right? And Paul says that apart from Jesus, we're trapped in that reality. We're trapped in the kingdom of darkness. And what is that kingdom of darkness characterized as far as us is concerned? He says this in 21. He says, we were far away from God. Why? We're not just far away from God. We're enemies of God. And then he says that we're separated by our evil thoughts and our evil actions. Now, this, of course, also butts up against our culture's understanding of who God might be and how unfair he is to call us sinners. In fact, One of my good friends, uh, he works out at our gym. He's a professor at Ohio State, um, and he's a Yale graduate, so super intellectual guy, and he's a Buddhist. And uh, we started uh, uh, to develop a little bit of a friendship, and I remember starting to talk to him a little bit about Jesus. And, you know, he said, you know, as a Buddhist, I have no problem with Jesus. I think he was a good man. He did a lot of good things, but I just have a really big issue with the Bible and Jesus telling me that I am sinful, I know that I'm a pretty good person. I, I'm a good person. In fact, like I don't murder, I don't steal. I don't cheat. I I, I don't cheat on my taxes. I, I, I don't um, say bad words, you know, like he's like trying to explain this to me. And he's like, I, I even I'm charitable. I do good things. And so I just can't get over the fact that I'm told that I'm broken. And I just said, well, maybe, maybe that's right. And and I, I don't think that it's true, but maybe it is right that you really don't do much wrong, but can I just do a little thought experiment with you? And so I said, I just want you to imagine your last week of thoughts, just seven days, just, just your thoughts, just your ideas in your head, what you've thought about the different things that you've um, thought, but haven't said the different things that you've thought, but you didn't do. Um, and, and then I, I'm going to take all of those thoughts and I'm going to compile it into a movie. And then we're going to play that movie in all of the theaters in Columbus. And it's a one night show only, but everyone will be invited. All of your friends, all of your family. How would you feel? And immediately Ben looked at me with just a different look on his face. And he said, well, of course I would be mortified. And I said, well, why do you think that is? He's like, because I have horrible thoughts, but, and I can concede that, but, but I don't do them. And I said, well, Even if you can't concede right now that you do bad things, can you at least admit that your thoughts are sick, that they don't seem right? They don't seem aligned with what you know that you should do. And see, this is the problem. I don't think that we are as in tune with our brokenness and how sick we really are. How in need of rescuing we really are. How in need of forgiveness that we really are. Now, I'm still working on him, but you can be praying for him, Um, but Nonetheless, the gospel, if the gospel of God is just that he wants you to live a good life and be a good person, it's certainly not fixing that. If God in the gospel is just that God doesn't want you to watch R-rated movies or drink beer, then like that ain't going to fix that either. It ain't going to fix murder. It ain't going to fix the horrible things in our lives. That's just the tip of the iceberg. We need rescuing. So we've established that we need rescuing, right? And now we can talk about how we actually get out of this mess, and interestingly enough, our culture has a ton of answers for that. It's easy for us to understand that question in light of where the world is right now, right? There's social unrest, there's the coronavirus, there's horrible things going on in this world, the bombing in Beirut. Every day there seems to be uh, a different thing that is going wrong in this world. If you looked at Facebook, you looked at the news, everyone seems to have an opinion of how we can fix this mess. And that's not wrong, right? That should point us to the idea that we were created for shalom. We were created for wholeness. We were created for good. We were created for peace and prosperity, and our world has descended into chaos. And so our hearts should desire that. But everyone has an answer to this question. What should we do with this mess? It's the reason that this November is going to be extremely difficult time for some people because we've put all of our eggs in the basket that the politicians are going to fix up the mess. Or maybe Dr. Phil or Oprah will fix the mess. Heck, we live in a society where there's more self-help books than you could ever read in an entire lifetime. They line our shelves, and then those self-help books have been broken down into self-help paragraphs, which have been broken down into self-help lines that we post online as if that will fix anything. But the truth is that there is a fixing that needs to be done, and everyone is claiming that they have the answer to repair it. But if we had the answer, we would have fixed it already. We would have fixed it already. It is so broken. And despite which aisle that you lean on politically, or what gender you are, or what books you read, or the fun quotes that you find, or the policies that you back, it's pretty evident that our problems need different solutions, something much greater, something more encompassing, something cosmic. And Paul makes sure that the Colossians know this. He says very specifically that Jesus has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of his son. He said he has purchased your freedom. He has forgiven your sins. And when you use this type of language, it's a very helpless language. Like you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And that should be the most freeing thing that we could ever hear. Stop trying. Stop trying to pull yourself up by your own moral efforts. You cannot do it. You must be rescued. This world must be rescued. If your hope is in a political policy, let me just tell you, can I just break something to you? It's not going to fix the sin in this world. If your hope is in that next self-help book, it ain't going to fix the fact that you feel like a fraud or you're insecure. If your hope is in posting fluffy, good feeling quotes on Instagram, you'll still feel a deep need and a sense for something more and why because you were created for a deeper solution which leads us to our second point. point first why do we need it second how did he actually do it And this is the good news right here. The gospel is not advice on how to pick yourself up by your bootstraps and live a better life. It's not a self-help tutorial or a quippy quote for a better life. The gospel is so much better because the gospel is good news. Think about when you pick up a paper and you read news. It's all bad, but this is good news because... Good news just tells us something that has happened and all we have to do is respond to it. And here's the headline of the article that Paul tells us. He says this in verse 19, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him, God, what? Reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by the means of Christ's blood on the cross. And this includes you. This includes you. In other words, God looked at the decay of the world and he took matters into his own hands. He smashed into the kingdom of darkness and brought it into the light. He lived the life that we couldn't live, that we should have lived. He died the death that we should have deserved so that we could live a life that we didn't earn and that we could live our lives for him, period. And this is this morning's big idea. And this is the most important thing that you could learn about yourself in light of who Jesus is, is that reconciliation is the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus. Reconciliation is the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus. That's simple, that's it, that God saved you through Jesus. Not through your own moral effort, not through your appearance, not through your performance, not through your job, not through your status, not through your wealth, that Jesus saved you through his work, not yours. And in our sin, we stood guilty before a holy God of the universe, and he perfectly, being loving and just, could not just turn away and look the other way. He couldn't turn a blind eye to it. And yet, the God of the universe loved us so much that he put himself on trial for our sin and our mistakes. And he was convicted guilty, even though he was innocent. And he died the death that we deserved, and he rose from the grave, defeating death once And for all. And while we live in a broken world now, he has begun to usher in his kingdom. And we are part of his plan to do that. We are part of his plan to actually start to transform this world until he comes back again and he will restore all things. And I think that that is incredible because you know what that does? It gives us the greatest purpose that we could ever have, that our life has been reconciled, to Christ so that we can reconcile the world and other people to him. And this leads to the result that our life has been reconciled to God so that we can actually reconcile things, the world and people to him, that he has given us now the power and the agents and the Holy Spirit to actually create change in this world when we do it out of his power and for his glory. And we see that this result motivates us better than any other result ever. So we've talked about why do we need this? And now we've talked about how did he do it? And we're finally going to talk about what is the result. Paul says this, as a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That is the most thing that I have ever heard in my entire life. That we stand before the God of the universe in Christ and he sees us as holy and blameless without a single fault. You know what? I'm going to be honest with you this morning. That's not how I feel a lot of the times. I feel dirty. I feel worthless. My sin condemns me makes me feel little and small and guilty and shameful. And yet that's not what God says. He says, in Christ, when you have believed in him, he sees you as holy and blameless without, this is amazing, without a single fault, not one. I got many. I've had many faults this morning before recording this. (laughs) And it's so easy to feel just weighed down by that. But Jesus says, no, no, no. You are holy. You are blameless when you put your faith in him. And why? Because in the presence of Jesus, we see this in the gospel, everything changes. When Jesus says he saw Satan fall from heaven, he says that the gospel is not just about defeating your personal sin, but taking all evil out of the world. When Jesus casts out demons, he says, I am sovereign and I have authority over all things. When Jesus heals the sick and the lame, he's saying that I am Lord over all of the brokenness, all of the pain, all of the cancer, all of the coronavirus, whatever it is, I am Lord over it. And I have come to restore it. And when Jesus feeds the 5,000, he says, I have come to give you an abundance to Fill your bellies, not just with physical food, but with spiritual food, which is my body, which is my life. Take this and eat of it and be satisfied. I am the living water. I am the bread of life. And when Jesus walks on water and he calms the storm, he says, this sits under my authority. The gospel is that I am in control. When Jesus confounds the religious leaders, he flips the tables in the temple. He tells rich people it's going to be hard for them. When he says, render under Caesar what is Caesar's, when he enters the city on a cult, even though he's the God of the universe, when he wears a crown of thorns rather than a crown of gold, he's saying that all these systems, all these pretense, all this bureaucracy, all these things where we've created these different levels of status, it doesn't matter because in the light of the gospel, we're all equal. We're all broken sinners in need of grace. And we've all been called sons when we and daughters when we put our faith him. That is what the gospel is about, is that in the presence of Jesus, everything changes from what it was to what it should be. And this is how Jesus makes peace with everything. But remember and do not forget that Paul says in verse 21 that this includes you. This includes me, that we have an opportunity to step into that truth. Do you know that you can be a part of God's story? You already are, even if you don't know Jesus. He has been pursuing you, he loves you, and he has given his son for you so that you might have eternal life. Not just to get out of jail free card, but so he can come into your heart and start restoring all of those things that need restoration. And in the process, he brings peace to everything. The purpose of reconciliation, though, is not just so that we would know reconciliation. It's for the sake of our holiness and for the sake of our transformation. That God doesn't want to just keep you where you are, but he wants to take you where you wouldn't go without him. And in Christ, do you know that he can do that work? that he can do that work in your life. There is no self-help book. There is no political agenda. There is no essential oil. There is no nothing that can heal you the way that Jesus can heal you. And here's the beautiful part as we close. You know what the gospel is? The gospel is that you bring nothing to him. You come to God like a beggar. All you need for grace is need. All you need is nothing. You have nothing to offer him, but your life. You say, God, I accept that gift. I accept the fact that I'm broken. I accept the fact that I'm unholy, apart from you. But in you, I also accept the fact that when I put my faith in you, you see me as holy and blameless, not because of anything that I have done, but because what you have done. And he has transferred us from Mount Dune. And from the Lord, from the reign of Lord Sauron to uh, the pretty fields, wherever Frodo lives, I forget what it's called. Right? That's just amazing news. And as we read the gospels this this uh, month uh, together as a church, as we read um, several chapters a day where we're t- reading about uh, uh, the life and the ministry of Jesus and what he has done, I just want you to be praying that you will stand, true, uh, uh, stand strong in this truth, uh, as, as, as Paul says here, for the church in Colossae. And, and here's a practical application tonight, that you would pray the prayer that Paul prays for the church in Colossae, where he prays that God would give you complete knowledge of his will and his gospel and that you would pray with your family that he would also give you spiritual wisdom and understanding of what that gospel really is. God help me to know you so that I can live for you. And as a result, that God would help me to live in joy and freedom, to live a life that will always honor and please you, and help me and my family live the life that will produce every kind of good fruit for your glory. See, that's the result. When we step into the gospel, We start to bear fruit and we live a life that is pleasing and honoring to him. There's nothing left for you to do, but to accept him. This is how Christ has reconciled the world to himself. He gave himself for you. He wants you, he knows you. Today is the day, if you haven't made that decision, to make that decision. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you. We are so thankful for you. We are enamored by your spirit. We are enamored by your goodness. And I just pray for anyone that is, is, is just teetering on that fence. That should I give my life to them? Should I not? That they would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Our vision is to be a movement of people finding their way back to God. We hope wherever you are, this message encourages you to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus. For more information about Movement Church, including attending a worship experience, getting connected, or to give online, please visit movementcolumbus.com.